I want to get stuck straight into it um, this morning. What I want to look at is uh, we're going to kind of anchor ourselves in a passage and we're going to use the Katy Perry song to kind of season what God might want to say to us through that passage. And the way I'm going to do it is rather than just going through the whole thing and then dipping back into it, I want to, as we go through it, pull it apart and pull out bits that that God might want to speak to us. And where we're going to focus is, we're going to focus on the story of Elisha, and particularly the calling of Elisha. Now, Elisha's predecessor was called Elijah. Now, it's pretty frustrating that they're not called like Dave and Steve, that there's like, it's quite easy to say, go to say Elijah and say Elisha by mistake. Um, but you've got Elijah, who was a major prophet, and he's the guy who's been speaking the word of God into the Israelite nation. And then you've got Elisha, who is the guy who's going to be called to be his apprentice and be the next prophet to Israel. So we're going to uh, open it up. It's in 1 Kings 19, verse 19. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it. If you've got a Bible app, turn to it. If you haven't got any of those, don't worry. There's a massive screen behind me with the, with the uh, Bible verses that are going to come up. Um, so we're going to kick off in uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 19, and it says, So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing in a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Now, we don't know yet whether Elisha is the owner of these cows. He, he might be the owner of the fields. He could well be just one of the servants and one of the people employed to plow the field. And his role is he is uh, plowing the field behind two oxen. So he would be walking behind this pair of cows as they walked up and down the field, round and round the field, plowing. And Elisha's job was to just walk behind them, to stare at the back end of a cow all day long. And he was walking up and down a field, staring at the back end of a cow, dealing with whatever came out of the back end of a cow. His role was to just stand behind the back end of a cow. Maybe you feel like that reflects your experience of church so far this morning, but I hope not. Please do not tap the person in front of you. Um, But maybe some of us feel like our career, our life, our job, our time in school or college, only two weeks left of uh, the school holidays, guys, like maybe we feel like it is the equivalent of staring at the back end of a cow. It feels lifeless, it feels purposeless, it feels like all you're doing is going up and down in some sort of monotony. And this is what Katy Perry speaks about in the song. She talks about stumbling around like a wasted zombie. She says in verse one, are we crazy living our life through a lens, trapped in our white picket fence like ornaments, so comfortable we're living in a bubble, bubble, so comfortable we cannot see the trouble, trouble. And even in the video, you see people queuing for what's billed as the greatest ride in the universe. And you see later on in the video that that greatest ride in the universe is in fact just a hamster wheel. And it's people running around and around in the hamster wheel. And what Katy Perry is trying to communicate through this song is that something is not right with the world. And what the world says it offers, it doesn't offer. Maybe that's how Elisha felt. Maybe Elisha felt like he was stuck in a hamster wheel, just going round and round in life. Maybe he felt his life lacked purpose. Maybe that's how you felt this morning. You know, even 
Elijah, who was the major prophet previous to this story, was stuck in his own little hamster wheel, stuck in a rut. He's up a mountain and he's whinging a car, going, I don't want to do it anymore. No one's listening to me anymore. And we've all been there, haven't we? When we want to give up and, and God speaks to Elijah and says, go over here. And this is where it leads him to. You see, he's obedient to God and that leads him to the next step in his ministry. And maybe today you feel a bit like Elisha and you're looking for the next step. Let's see what happened in the next verse. It says, Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Now, if you don't know what's going on here, it looks a bit weird. It looks like Elijah just walked up to somebody in a field, threw his coat at them and walked off again. <laughs> it's weird when you don't understand it, but you see, Elijah's cloak, or in other versions of the Bible, it says his mantle, like that would have represented his calling and identity as a prophet. It was only really kings and prophets that would have this kind of cloak. And it was symbolic, him going and throwing it over Elisha to say, you're next. You're going to take up the mantle. That's where we get that phrase from, take up the mantle, is, is he's going, you're next. You're going to take on the cloak of responsibility. You're going to take on what God has for you next. You see, Elisha wasn't going around asking for it. He wasn't looking to sign up to the Elijah Apprenticeship Equip Program. Like He wasn't looking for that. He was just going about his daily business. Yet, what happens is, is God comes and meets with him through Elijah and says there's something bigger going on. You know, we read in the New Testament that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And Jesus even said himself, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Maybe this morning you might be a person that's never called yourself a Christian, that you're only here because you were, you were persuaded to by somebody else. And already you can feel almost God throwing his cloak over you and saying, this is for you. Maybe you're feeling God showing you this morning the purpose and the plans that he has for your life. Maybe you didn't expect it. You were just going through it and, and doing what you had to do to keep that person happy so you could go for lunch with them later. But actually, you feel like God is throwing a cloak over you and wants to encounter you this morning. And he does. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Maybe if you're a Christian, maybe you find yourself in a, in a circumstance or situation that you didn't ask for that you're going, God, I didn't ask for this level of responsibility. I didn't ask for you to give it to me, but you find yourself in that circumstance. A couple of months ago, me and Laura went on a, a holiday. We went through, uh, like, driving through northern France and northern Europe, um, and it was amazing, and we put it all over Instagram because that's the kind of people that we are. And um, we spent a couple of days in Paris, and someone had recommended to us that we do a bike tour. They said it's the best way to see um, all the sites in the city um, in a couple of hours. So we signed up to this bike tour and we went and met by uh, a famous fountain that I've forgotten the name of. And uh, we met our tour guide. There was me and Laura. There was an American family. And there was this Icelandic girl who was backpacking across Europe on her own. And uh, we went with the tour guide. We went to the garage. We got our bikes. We got told how to use the bikes, like I didn't know how to ride a bike. Um, and then she talked us through everything that was going to happen. And she said, I'm going to be at the front. And we're going to cycle through the streets of Paris. And if you've ever been to Paris, you will know that the roads of Paris are absolutely crazy. 
And she said, my job is I'm going to make sure we know where we're going. And I'm going to take you to all the sites that you're going to see. You're going to see the Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe from the Louvre and all these different places. And I'm going to take you there. And my job is I'm going to make sure that you get to hear all the information that you need to hear. I'm going to make sure we go the right way. I'm going to make sure we get to where we're going. And she, then she said, and then there's going to be somebody at the back. And their job is they are going to make sure that everybody's safe. They're going to make sure that, they don't, that we don't lose anybody. They're going to make sure that everybody makes it through the traffic lights. They're going to make sure that everybody arrives at each destination safely and that nobody dies along the way. And I, just as I was thinking to myself, man, I would not want to be that person, the tour guide goes, Andy, would you be that person? And all of a sudden, I had a cloak of responsibility thrown onto me. Like, I'd gone from being someone who was just there to consume the sights of Paris to all of a sudden, I was there to contribute to the safety of everybody on the trip. And God, it was almost like we find ourselves in situations where God throws a cloak of responsibility. I didn't ask or volunteer to be that person. I was just given it. And we find ourselves in situations and circumstances and positions of responsibility going, God, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask you to give me it, but God's given us it. And we've got to, we've got to step into the calling that God has for us. Maybe you see yourself as a consumer of Life Central Church, that you just come once a week, and maybe today God wants to throw a cloak over you and say, hey, there's a role for you. You need to move from consumer to contributor. There is a role for each and every one of us, not just in this church, but in the world, and God has a role for each and every one of us in our world to see it come to what he wants it to be. And then if we pick up the rest of the passage it says, uh, it says, Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you. So notice, it wasn't weird to Elisha that Elijah just threw his coat on him. Like Elisha knew the significance of it and this is what he does. Elijah says, go on back but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. Uh, he passed it around the meat, sorry to any vegetarians in the place tonight, uh, to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now, we can probably figure out from this that if Elisha has the authority to go back and go, let's burn all the cows, like, he's obviously not the servant. Like, he, he should... I hope he's the boss, otherwise he will have got himself into a lot of trouble. Like, you can't just go into your workplace if you're not the boss and go, let's burn all the computers, you will get fired. Um, but Elisha here, he must have the responsibility to say, we are, God has called me to something bigger than this field. God has called me something to, into something that is bigger than just standing behind the back end of a cow all day. God is calling me out of just making money and into something bigger. And he throws it all behind him. He bends the plow. He kills the cows. He sets up a big barbecue for the entire town. And he moves into what God has for him. And you know, I want us to realize that God has more for us today. I want us to step into the more that God has for us. Maybe you have found yourself stuck in a rut, but God has got more for us, and we've got to commit fully, wholeheartedly to what God is calling us into. And, you know, I don't want to spend too much time there because Jane did a brilliant job of pulling that out last week about not wavering between decisions but committing our everything to God. And I think this is something that we can struggle to do often as Christians. This is something that we find ourselves chained to a rhythm of, of struggling to give everything 
to God. And um, before we look into that a little bit more, what I want to do is uh, take a look at a video clip. This is from a film called Moneyball. And the film Moneyball, it's a great film, particularly if you're into sport, it's a brilliant film. And um, it's about how a general manager called Billy Bean, he redefines how baseball works, particularly when it comes to trading and recruitment. And it, in this clip, we're going to see that he's lost a bit of faith in this new system. And his assistant shows him a clip to inspire him to keep going. Have a look, this is Moneyball. So Jeremy Brown spent his entire career knowing all he could do was run to first base. That's what I do. I get on first. That's my job. I go to first base. I go to first base. And then all of a sudden, he hits a home run. And there's a home run on offer. There is glory on offer. And he runs to first base. And I watched that clip I saw when I was watching the film. And I was like, wow. That is what so many of us do as Christians. There is a home run on offer. There is more on offer for us, and we just settle for running to first base. We just settle. We get stuck in this rhythm and routine of going through the motions. We just get by. Maybe you've never realized that God has a call and a purpose for your life. Maybe you could hit the home run today and say yes to Jesus and step in to the calling that God has for you. Maybe you've just got stuck in a rut. Maybe your faith has become pretty stale and stagnant, and you just come to church and go through the motions and stand up and sit down when Leon tells us to and shake hands with the person behind you when you're supposed to and put your hand up in the air and sing along with the words and it's just become some sort of rhythm that is stale and stagnant and has become meaningless and I want you to know that there is more for you. God has more for each and every one of us. Whether you have been a Christian for a hundred years or whether you are not yet a Christian, there is more for us to step into. And to help us think about how we can step into the more that God has for us, I want to look at another story involving Elisha that's, that's a little bit later in his story. It comes in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 7. And um, what's happened here is Elisha has followed Elijah, become his apprentice. Elijah's gone up to heaven, and now Elisha is the major prophet. And Elisha is the prophet for the nation of Israel. And Israel finds itself in a war with the Arameans. And in this war, they're, they're trapped and surrounded by the Aramean army. And they're trapped in Samaria. That's Samaria, not Sumeria. Um, little Bible joke for everyone there. And they, they find themselves, because they're surrounded, they find themselves in the midst of a famine. And everything's going wrong. And the king and the leaders come to Elisha and, and find, try to find him and blame him because he was the one, he's the one that's supposed to be the voice of God. And they come to kill Elisha. And then Elisha prophesies into the nation. And what he prophesies is the story that we're about to read. It's in 2 Kings chapter 7. And it says this Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but if we go but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better, but if they kill us, we would have died anyway. I hope everyone's feeling encouraged in church this morning. See, these, um, these four lepers and their story, I think we can pull some things out of and some points out of that will help us step into the more that God has for us. And the first thing that we need to do is define reality. 
Like the lepers stood there and they defined their reality. They said, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go back into the city, we're going to die. If we go over there, we might die. They define their reality. They look around at their world and they go, this is the reality. They couldn't live in rose-colored spectacles like Katy Perry talks about in the song. They couldn't go, oh, it's going to be all right, we'll be all right. They had to define their reality. And I think sometimes we need to define our reality if we're going to move forward. Sometimes we don't want to face the reality. We want to come to church and pretend everything's okay and just go through the rhythm and pretend that it's all going to be okay. But you know what? We need to define reality. And you know, globally, the church is on the rise. In Africa and Asia, the church is really growing, but that is not the case in the Western world. James Emery White, who's a leader in, in America and just brilliant at defining reality, looking at the trends in culture and speaking into it. And uh, we heard him speak a little while ago, and he said, um, he said that, that he talks about the rise of the nuns. And nuns mean basically people who are non-affiliated to religion. So when they fill out a form, they, they tick non rather than Christian or or Muslim or whatever. And he says over a third of people under 30 are nuns. The nuns are the biggest growing religious group in the world at the moment. Like it is frightening. And in fact, in the UK, for every one convert to Christianity, 25 people are leaving the church. If you're a Christian here, that should terrify you. When I heard that, something hit me in my gut. And I was gutted. And sometimes we don't like to define reality and we don't like to count the numbers because when we count the numbers, we realize we're losing. Maybe let's look at world resources. Do you know on the 1st of August, on Wednesday the 1st of August, it was Earth Overshoot Day. It happens every year and it keeps getting earlier. It's the day in the year when collectively the world's population has used up all the resources that nature can regenerate in one year. As of the 1st of August, just a couple of weeks ago, we are now overusing what we should be using. In fact, we are using the equivalent of 1.7 planets to resource our global collective consumption. It's terrifying when you look, in, look into the facts and the science of our world and climate change. If you look at in April of this year, it was, it was announced that food bank usage in the UK is at its highest ever on record. We've got to do something about it. We've got to define reality. I, um, I really love things like comic relief and children in need and uh, stand up to cancer because you get to see celebrities doing different things. It's quite fun when they do like celebrity goggle box or you know, the BBC News presenters do a dance and it's, it's quite fun. And what I found myself doing, and please don't judge me for this, but I found myself donating early on in the shows and donating so then I can justify fast-forwarding through the sad stories. And there's something in me that doesn't want to face the reality. There's something in me that goes, if I just give £20 and gift aid it, I can, I can ignore all the bad stories and it'll all go away. And it's not enough. We've got to face the reality of the hopelessness that our world is in. These four lepers, they stood and they defined their reality. And they went, it's hopeless if we stay here. It's hopeless if we go back, but there's a bit of hope over there. 
Yeah, Katy Perry talks about it in her song. She says, aren't you lonely up there in utopia where nothing will ever be enough? Happily none. A utopia is uh, defined as an imagined place or state of things in which everything is perfect. We want to pretend sometimes that it is. She says, are we tone deaf? Keep sweeping it under the mat. Thought we could do better than that. I hope we can. I hope we can. For me, just coming to church is not enough. Just coming and attending once a week is not enough. Church attendance will not transform our world. Singing the latest Hillsong songs will not transform our world. Having more worship leaders who wear skinny jeans, as, much, as nice as it is, Dan Murphy, it will not transform our world. Our world does not need more cool, relevant Christians. It needs Christians who are in love with Jesus and willing to do no matter what it takes to see hopelessness turn to hope. That's what these four lepers did. They stood and they defined their reality and they went, it's hopeless here, it's hopeless there, but there's some hope over there in that direction. And our job is to define reality and go, where is the hope? You know, maybe you need to define reality that's a bit smaller and a bit closer to home. And you need to define the reality of your own heart and mind. And maybe it's that you have become stale and stagnant. And maybe you could pray the prayer that David prays in Psalms. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. David says, God, would you define reality for me? We need to define reality. Our next point, we're going to skip a point and we're going to go to take a risk. Now these lepers, they, they define their reality and they go, we might die, we'll die here, we'll die if we go back there. But over there is a risk that we might die, but there's a risk that we might not. And they take a risk. They point out the hope. And, you know, breaking the rhythm, stepping out of the chains of the rhythm, involves taking a risk. Involves stepping out. You know, I've been blown away as we've been interviewing um, and chatting with the guys who are coming to do our Equip program in September and just seeing them taking a risk, stepping out, some of them, most of them, leaving their home for the first time, coming to, to a new church, a new town, coming to be line managed by me, what a risk that is for them. Like they are stepping out and risking it all in order to find the more that God has for them. You know, I've been amazed when I was away with our team in Albania and our team that's out in South Africa at the moment. People who've never done something like that before, taking a risk and stepping into the more that God has for them. Seeing families in our church, taking a risk and stepping out into fostering and adopting, having never done that before, taking a risk and stepping out into the more that God has for them. If we're going to step into the more that God has for us, it involves risk. Anne Lamott says, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. And when we step out into uncertainty, that is a risk. Maybe God's asking some of us to take some risks. The Bible's full of people who took risks, and God did amazing things. You know, one of the things that I find great about God, but equally a little bit frustrating, is God's always calling us to take risks. He's always calling us out of our comfort zones. 
Katy Perry calls it like a bubble, so comfortable we're living in a bubble. And what God does is he says, I want you to step out of your comfort zone. And we step out of our comfort zone and we're out and it's uncomfortable for a season and we don't know what's going on, but then we begin to figure it out and it all becomes comfortable and all of a sudden our comfort zone has got bigger and God says, and out again you go. And God keeps calling us to take risks and keeps calling us out of our comfort zones. And you know, if you've been a Christian five minutes, step out of your comfort zone. If you've been a Christian for 50 years, God's calling you to step out of your comfort zone. God calls us to take risks. The final point as the band come back up um, is share the story. Now, it's a little bit strange, this story that I've, I've chosen to, to land with. It's like, what? There's just these guys who just found themselves in a hopeless situation and defined their reality and took a risks. But, you know, how it ends is amazing. You see, what happens is they go, well, we've got to go over there and we've got to take the risk. And they take the risk and they go into the Aramean camp. And what they find is God has gone before them. God's confused the Arameans to make them think that somebody else is attacking them and they fled the camp. And these four lepers, they go into the camp and they find food, drink, gold, silver in abundance. And they have the time of their lives. They get involved. They're eating all the Nando's and drinking all the Coca-Cola that they can get. They are getting involved and having a great time. And then all of a sudden, in verse 9, something changes in their hearts and minds. And it says this, Finally, they said to each other, This is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. Wow. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. You know, I think this is the bubble that we often fall into as Christians, is that we come into church, we, we meet God and we find the richness and the abundance that he has for us and the life and the purpose and the direction that he has for us. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to saturate myself in it. I'm going to listen to every worship song going. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to saturate myself in it. And all of a sudden we become consumers and we need to wake up and find that moment to go. This is a day of good news. We need to share this with someone and as I preach I'm preaching to myself okay you know we need to share our story that's our job we point out hope by sharing our story it's not your job to convert people it's not your job to transform somebody's life that's God's you're not a saviour but you're a saved person and you know our job is to share our story and invite. It's really interesting with these lepers. They, they, what they do is they decide to go back and tell the leaders and the king of what they've experienced. They share their story. Then they're not really mentioned again in the story. And the king and the leaders, they're, they're a bit cynical. They're not sure. They're like, maybe this is a trap. Maybe this is a trick. We don't know. And they they um and are about it. And in the end, when they test it and see it for themselves, they experience the riches and the abundance that's in that camp. And what Elisha had prophesied comes true. You see, our job is to share what we have experienced, share our story, and then invite others. 
We want to. We need to position ourselves like the like the lepers position themselves to be able to define reality and point out where the hope is. That's why we make such a big deal of Christmas and Easter. That's why we run Alpha. That's why our Sundays are positioned in a way that they are because we want to position ourselves as a church to point out hope, to share our story, to give opportunity to to invite people to experience the hope that we have found in Jesus. Church, I wonder if you could stand to your feet. And as we begin to respond, we're going to sing a song that says, I will build my life on a firm foundation. And then in the chorus, it goes on to say, and lead me in your love to those around me. Father God, I pray that you would break the rhythm. God, would you break us out of a monotony? God, would you uh, release the chains where we feel stale, where we feel stagnant? God, I pray that you would stir something up in us now. God, I thank you that you are the hope for the world, that God, no matter the circumstances that we look at, God, no matter the reality, God, the the hope for our world is you. And God, I pray that you would stir that up in us. God, would you show us the people that we need to go to? God, would you show us the people that we need to share our story with? God, would you give us the boldness and the courage to do so? God, would you fill our mouths with your words? God, I pray that you would show us the people that we can invite. God, the people that we can uh, get alongside. God, the people that we can position ourselves to be next to and point the way to hope. God, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, would you come and meet us by the power of your spirit. In your mighty name. Amen.